0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Demystifying the Selection, Use, Care, and Maintenance of FR Clothing, sponsored by Bulwark. My name is Kevin Drury, I'm an Associate Editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you will be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Derek Sang. Derek is a technical training manager who has developed over 40 hours of training curriculum for Bulwark University, covering all aspects of flame-resistant clothing. Derek brings more than 20 years of experience with the FR clothing industry from various sides of the business and holds several certifications. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Derek, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: Kevin, thank you very much for that nice introduction and uh, good morning. Or good afternoon, depending on where you are listening to us today. Uh, I greatly appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to join us live. So let's jump right into uh, demystifying the selection, use, care, and maintenance of FR or AR clothing. Uh, when we conduct our uh, trainings kind of across the U.S. and Canada, one of the challenges or one of the approaches that we get from our end-user community really is, is guys, once we get this stuff, how can you help us help our people implement it properly? So that's kind of what we're going to touch on today. Obviously, we can't get to everything. We're going to just give you the highlights of, of our core markets being electric arc flash for general industry arc flash for our utilities and then we'll get into flash fire for our refineries and our oil and gas and and chemical folks so that's a lot to cover in 45 minutes and we're just going to kind of really take the concept if there's a regulation if there's a law that kind of gives you some direction here with selection use care and maintenance we'll, we'll talk to that If we don't have any specific regulations, we'll talk to our standards and and how and where we can go to get help for selection, use care, and maintenance there. And then we'll tap into our 40 years of experience here at Bulwark dealing with everything and anything that's flame-resistant and kind of give you some best practices that we help folks with and and really others have come up with in order to uh, use care and and maintain our TPE when it comes to flame-resistant and arc-rated clothing. So let's start with who's responsible. Pretty easy, probably. Everybody who's on the phone today understands that everything really directs that arrow of responsibility to the employer. And it's really easy when you think about it. The most basic contract, forget about everything else, but the most basic contract that we enter into as an employer employee is when we shake the hand on day one as an employer I am going to ensure or do my best not to hurt, maim, or kill you on the job. General duty clause. So when we look at that as employers, what are we required to do? We are required to determine what the hazards are on the job site, what hazards could emerge on the job site, and protect our folks against those hazards. Well, Some of them are really easy. Some of them have a long history. If stuff falls from the sky and can hit us on the head, we put on hard hats. If it's over 185 decibels on the job floor, we provide hearing protection. If stuff can spin around in the air and get in our eyes, guess what? We've got safety glasses. If we could expose or our employees could be exposed to thermal events such as arc flash and flash fire, the biggest hazard there is not necessarily the arc flash or the flash fire. What the real hazard is, is clothing igniting and continuing to burn and perpetuating that event far longer than it is and causing horrific and catastrophic body burn in excess of... 50% and then we go into potential fatality area. So when we look at what does the law say for us from a PPE standpoint, well, you gotta protect the head, the eyes, the ears, the extremities, the torso if it's exposed, your feet. So you have a very, very good regulation in 1910-132. So that's gonna help us uh, provide some guidance there on, on what we're doing. Choosing the right PPE for the job can be daunting, especially when we look at a large employee force who are doing a lot of things in different environments and outdoors, indoors, gas monitors, extreme environments, fall protection, etc. So when you look at the FRAR clothing that's required, OSHA says you have to have to select what will affect that employee as your hazard assessment dictates so you'll find that thermal hazards whether they're arc flashes or flash fires though they are completely different in what their makeup is and they're if you think about them they're 180 degrees apart on uh, the matrix that is thermal events arc flashes very short in duration high intensity great heat uh, flash fires, lower heat, will last a little bit longer. So different dynamics when it comes to the thermal events but there are some commonalities in there. So what direction do we have? We have our laws, our regulation, and then what do our standards, how, how do our standards help us conform or comply with the regulation? So you have OSHA the regulatory body telling us you shall protect your people so where do we go to for for the house so for example in our oil and gas flash fire hazard we have some pretty good standards NFPA 2112 and NFPA 2113 are kind of the go-to standards if you've determined that you have a flash fire hazard or potentially could have a flash fire hazard 2112 tells us the manufacturing community how to build shirts, pants, and coveralls to protect against flash fire hazards. It gives us all the test protocols that we have to adhere to. And then NFPA 2113 is the how-to. So if you're on this webinar today and you have flash fire hazards as a safety Professional on your desk or in PDF on your computer, you are going to have 2113. Because 2113 is your playbook. That's going to walk you through your hazard assessment. Then, once you've done your hazard assessment and you determine that uh, you potentially have flash fires from dust, gas, vapors of ignitable liquid, you know that that can happen. Then it tells you to select. And what do you think it tells you to select? It tells you to select NFPA 2112 compliant garments. Those garments are independently certified by a third body, and in many cases, you'll, you'll hear about certifications coming from UL. That's probably the most popular within the FR community. So it's independently certified by a third party to meet 2112, then those are the garments that you select because they're going to comply and that's your selection process. Then it walks you through how to use them in the field. The using in the field part, that's where it tells you that you have to tuck in your shirts. You have to roll down your sleeves. You have to button up your sleeves or zip up or button up your coverall. It doesn't allow you to wear those uh, improperly because you want to have them dialed in correctly to maximize the protection And if they're in indeed an event. If we go into our general industry, our 70E community, now we're into arc flash and that's where the term arc rated clothing came from as our 70E community so they went from FR to arc rating. Arc rating in and of itself, all arc rated garments are flame resistant because you have to be flame resistant to test to have an arc rating, so arc rating clothing tells you that they have been tested to your hazard. And how do you know if you have an arc rated garment? That's where you see an ATPV or an E sub BT in the tag. That tag will read ATPV of 8.6 or 8.7 or 7.4, whatever that calorie per centimeter squared is. That's how you determine that those garments have been tested for an arc flash hazard and you are putting the right garments and matching them up with the right hazard. In our utility community, now we have 1910-269 that changed in 2014 to actually address flame-resistant clothing that is arc rated. So for our utility community, it's defined as I must, my outer layer, which could be exposed to the incident energy released in an R flash, my outermost layer has to be equal to or better than the estimated incident energy that I could be exposed to. So what does that mean for our utility community? For most of our utility community, there's going to be very little change they're going to make a reasonable estimate of their their equipment. They're probably most likely in 8 calories or more protection and what the 70E community refers to as CAT 2 level protection. So that's 8 calories or higher. So if you find that the large majority of your equipment is less than 8 calories, you probably don't have to change much when it comes to your existing PPE, uh, FR, AR clothing program. Now, if you find there's some equipment in there that's going to be higher energies, you're going to have to layer up or go into additional PPE, such as flash suits, in order to protect against that incident energy. Because, again, what does the law say for utilities in 1910-269 is that outermost layer has to be equal to or greater than that a reasonable estimate so I kind of already alluded to the first place you want to start looking for compliant garments is really you kind of want to look to that label and if you have worn or you uh, purchase or procure flame-resistant clothing one of the things that you'll notice in flame-resistant clothing is they have a lot of labels because the standards require that we communicate a lot of information to you so that you can help match those garments to your hazard so we kind of look to the labels as, as kind of that pedigree or that resume of that garment and you'll see a lot of information on that label you'll see if it has an arc rating on the labels you'll see if it is uh, 2112 compliant You'll also see a lot of other numbers that allow us to track garments in case we have to go back and find information if that garment happens to be involved in an incident. I can tell you uh, where the garment was built, when the garment was built, what roll of fabric that garment came off of, and then I can go get the test results from that roll of fabric, and we can start doing investigations to see if everything work correctly so there's a lot of information in there so again it's a good place to start you kinda have to educate yourself a little bit though on what proper label language is because what you'll see with a lot of product that's coming in especially from offshore that they may not understand exactly what they have to do in order to be compliant here in North America and what those labels have to exactly say they can't be a close or loose interpretation of what they have to say, they have to exactly say in the proper context what that garment can and cannot do. So with that being said, we want to understand and do a little bit of researching on what required labeling is. Uh, oh, they've shown, thrown in a, a little quick uh, survey for you all. Uh, if you'd be so kind to take a second or two, Uh, Labels can often be misleading. What should you look for to know your FR or AR garment is NFPA 2112, and this one says certified, it should be NFPA 2112 compliant. So, the answers are A, indicate that they meet performance testing and labeling standards and regulations. B, correctly list the regulations standards garments are required to meet on the label to indicate the garments had been certified by a third party or D, all of the above. And then E, if you're not sure, feel free to throw that one in there, too. So I'll give you all a couple seconds to click on that, if you'd be so kind. And a lot of us remember our, our SAT scores. If, if it's a D, all of the above, it tends to be all of the above. And uh, we see a large majority of folks have... Uh, clicked on that one, so congratulations for getting that one correct. As I mentioned, required labeling is very, very specific in the standards here in North America. It has to read exactly right, and if you educate yourself a little bit, you can have that that knowledge, and you can look to something like the label on the right as you look at the screen, which says, this garment meets the performance requirements of NFPA 7E 2012 ASTM 1506, uh, NFPA 2112 2012, sounds great, looks good, ton of information. Uh, that's incorrectly labeled. And why do why do I stress that? If they can't do the labeling right, that's probably an indicator of all the other technology that they have to do right, whether it's being done properly or not. So if I can't even get the most basic communication to you as my end user correct, what do you think I have to do with all the other technology that requires to have that those FR properties permanently available for me uh, as I need them so again it brings into doubt a lot of things continuing on with that uh, theme as I say labels are a good place to start they're not infallible you can have everything perfect and still come across fraudulent uh, incomplete or misleading labels for example here these were labels on garments that we found uh, in California uh, unfortunately, they're very misleading and not very correct. Uh, it looks like there's a UL logo there. In fact, when you look at it a little bit closer, it's a little off-shaped, but that's not real. the real kicker. When we sent this information to UL, they had never heard of this company. This company is not in the system, and UL did not certify uh, these garments to be compliant to anything. So that's obviously bad. The other thing, depending on your screen, if you can see it, I'm not sure what flam is at the top there, folks. I'm glad this garment is resistant to flam, uh, but that should be a a huge red flag on whether or not everything else is done correctly uh, in this garment. So, again, good place to start looking, a good place to uh, uh, glean some information and uh, help drill down uh, your product line. So some of the other areas we want to educate folks on is, again, remember, everything that we talked about in the standards, it's always the outermost layer so if we're putting people into the elements what about their rain gear if we have people on the side of highways if we have people where we need to have ANSI compliance also and we put people into safety vests what is now the outermost layer well rain gear that's pretty easy to determine that's now the outermost layer Uh, that vest as it is uh, implemented is now the outermost layer so if you have an arc flash hazard is that vest been tested to the hazard will it perform in the hazard so what can go wrong here there is a lot of rain gear and vest in the marketplace today that is labeled to be flame resistant and they're labeled to be flame resistant by complying to one one of the standards that you see here if you go your tool room or if you go to procurement and you get your hands on either a your reflective vests b your rain gear and you look at the label and it claims FR properties by only complying to one standard probably not going to perform in the hazards that you are looking for it to perform in for example ASTM 2302 that is a great standard uh, we actually kind of have that as your baseline standard that you build upon. It's heat resistant, flame resistant, then you start building to ASTM 1506, uh, NFPA 7, 75, 77, uh, 2733, so on and so on. You build from this, but as a standalone, it gives you no indication at all how that garment's going to perform in an arc flash or a flash fire. In fact, if you read the standard, it tells you not to use this gourmet in an arc flash or a flash fire environment. So, as a standalone, it tells you nothing. The next one you'll see in your vest, in your rain gear, is it'll say FR rain gear to ASTM 6413. That's the vertical flame test. And if you spent any time uh, in FR or talking to FR people, they'll, you know the vertical flame test is what a lot of companies use to establish if you still have FR properties in some of your aged garments. It's a very, very basic test. Unfortunately, it's not a performance test. It will not tell you anything about that ring gear and or vest, how it will perform in an arc flash or a flash fire. And then, lastly, 701 we do see in uh, in our high vis vests. You'll see 100% polyester ANSI compliant reflective vest, class two and class three. And then the NFPA, excuse me, the FR piece will be determined because it meets NFPA 701. Unfortunately, NFPA 701 is not a garment standard. Typically, and most commonly, it's used as a drapery standard or a linen standard in the hospitality industry. It's a fire retardant that goes on these drapes and these linens. Why? It's to slow down combustion so I can get from the sixth floor to the parking lot in safety. It's not even uh, for garments, so how can it be used here to uh, put vests and rain gear into the marketplace? What you want to look for, especially in your rain gear, is ASTM 2733 for flash fire and ASTM 1891 for arc. Ideally, you would like your rain gear to be compliant to both standards. Then you don't have to worry about where it's been implemented, if there's any secondary accelerants that could produce a flash fire in an arc, and vice versa. You're going to protect the both and, and the current. Uh, Rain gear has been shown to perform well and protect you in an arc flash or a flash fire. For our vests, uh, thankfully ANSI uh, in 2015 gave us a lot more information to help safety professionals determine that they're getting the right FR vest for their people. So it's ANSI compliant, it's going to tell you that. And then it has to, one of the five standards it has to be compliant to in order to be considered FR is ASTM 1506, it has to be ASTM 2733, ASTM 1891, uh, NFPA uh, 77 I believe, I get mixed up between 77 and 75 on there, but that's for your wildland side of it, and obviously ASTM 1506. So in that label, it's going to tell you if it doesn't have that designation, it can't be considered flame resistant, and the manufacturer has to label their vest as non-FR, so you're not even going to implement it out in the field if you have arc flash or flash fire hazards. So ANSI has helped us there. The next big thing is as we go through that selection process, now you've selected the right garments. The right garments are delivered to you. You can't go just handing this stuff out. And expecting people to know how to use it. You are required now to train them on their PPE in order to use it and implement it correctly in the field to maximize uh, its performance. So one of the things from a training standpoint that folks like Bulwark and other manufacturers can do is we can come in and do your training on your FRAR clothing, help you satisfy that 1932 piece and 1910-132 uh, piece, and then get it documented, have them demonstrate that they understand it, boom, that's, that's done, and your folks are out now being effective in the field, and, and they've had their training. So oil and gas, remember I said 2113, will walk you through how to properly implement that clothing in the field. That's where your sleeves are rolled down. If you do have shirts and pants, they're tucked in. If you do have coveralls, you're zipping those up. It also talks to what you're allowed to wear underneath your FRAR clothing, as do all the other standards, and we'll talk to that shortly. NFPA 70E also directs you to, when you're wearing a shirt and pant combination, that they're tucked in, that they're buttoned up, the sleeves are rolled down and buttoned. So you do have lots of... uh, Documentation to assist you to communicate to your people on how to properly wear this in the field. Our electric utilities, ASTM 1506, these garments have to be worn properly as they're designed and uh, walked into the field. So as the ensemble is as the ensemble is designed by the manufacturer to be implemented. So we build shirts and pants to tuck in the shirt wear the pants you don't wear them untucked so that not as strong a language as 70E and 2113 but there is uh, that inference in 1506 I alluded to this as part of it all the standards talk to layering and what you're allowed to wear underneath so think about it this way if I have a shirt or coverall good I have just the FR shirt or coverall I'm not wearing anything underneath my garment better I can wear a hundred percent natural fibers what are a hundred percent natural fibers well silk wool typically is going to be in, in the wintertime and then the most common and the one everything everybody talks to is is cotton 100% cotton so now you've gone from good to better and then you want to go to best that's where you have that arc rated FR base layer So you get the combination of two layers of FR. Two layers of FR, whether it's arc flash or flash fire, are going to be better than than one layer of FR. Two layers of FR can allow you possibly to have a lighter outer layer, a lighter under layer, and still meet your incident energy requirements, meet your arc rating so that you're still protected. The other things that layering with ARC rated and FR base layers brings to bear is twofold. One, no one has to be the underwear police anymore. And what do I mean by that? Everybody on this call probably is in agreement that 100% cotton t-shirts are fine underneath their FR, and all the standards will tell you that is true. The problem is, as a safety person, if I look at all my people and I see that little triangle of white cotton sticking out, do I absolutely know 100% of the time that that's 100% cotton? It's not 80-20, it's not 50-50, it's not 60-40. All I know is it's white. So by going to arc-rated FR base layers, you eliminate the potential of anything meltable in that white cotton-like under Gorman. The other piece that uh, FR, AR base layers help against is when you have enough energy to where that outer layer starts to break away. We don't see that typically in our flash fires, we do start to see that in some of our higher energy 70E pieces and we definitely have the potential in our utilities to where that outer layer can fail and then is there enough incident energy still remaining to possibly ignite that cotton t-shirt or if I'm not wearing anything underneath hurt and damage my skin. ARC rated FR base layers take that out of the equation. The next thing you're probably asking right away is if I'm in the ARC rated, if I'm in the electrical community, if I'm in 70 ER utilities, there is the additional benefit of two layers of ARC rated fabrics being tested together to give you Possibly higher arc ratings than that single outer layer, and we'll talk about that briefly here in a second. Uh, Melting undergarments are very real. Be very, very cautious of your people wearing athletic performance undergarments that thermal energy still passes through. Remember, all arc-rated FR clothing does by definition is self-extinguish once the event is over. There's still a lot of radiant heat, there's still a lot of thermal energy, still still a lot of uh, IR, that's going to pass through. That hits that lightweight three and a half ounce performance gym wear, and you are going to melt and shrink that to the skin. And that's what that scarring here you see on the left. Uh, Just real quick. Uh, bulwark over bulwark, about 150 plus combinations have been tested. So you can access that real easy on our website. As many other top manufacturers have those uh, numbers available of their products and, and testing them together because there is a true benefit to layers of, of uh, two layers of FR and an ARC rating uh, increase. For our oil and gas community, just think about it this way, two layers of FR are better than one layer of FR and you're just going to increase your overall uh, protection. The one thing you're going to have to decide real quick, short sleeve or long sleeve, which base layer is correct for me? Well, I just mentioned our flash fire community, There there is no measurements on those coveralls as far as... Uh, like we do in in our arc rated coveralls. We don't have a calorie rating so when we measure the two together we don't notice or document the increase in protection. But I will tell you if we were to do that on a mannequin test you will have increased uh, protection, you will dramatically lower your body burn so we do see benefit there. For our electrical community the decision has to be am I short sleeve or long sleeve? Well the only way to truly be a system and take benefit of those layering numbers that you have tested, is to be long sleeve, especially in 70E. You may make the determination, if you're a rubber sleeve utility, for example, you may make the determination that you will allow short sleeves in your program, but that's entirely up to you. But do understand, you do not have a system unless those, that layering system covers everything. Do's and don'ts. How to properly wear a coverall. Believe it or not, uh, we see various uh, displays of coverall wear in the field. This is how to implement one properly. The one in the middle is a mandarin collar. That is not necessarily available on all coveralls, so the one to the right where you see just a slight touch of gray sticking out there, that's zipped up, buttoned up, rolled down. That's the proper way to wear a coverall in the field. Uh, Remember I said we see a lot of variations. Uh, The one in the middle is probably the most popular we see in the field. That's where it's zipped down, the sleeves are rolled up. Uh, We've exposed that uh, I'm going to say 100% cotton white t-shirt or as what we refer to when it's non-FR fuel. Uh, This is a very common one when we come off a break where they're tied around the waist and uh, we forget to, to roll them back up and on. Uh, Not common a lot in our refineries, but out in our oil and gas community, the old duct tape gator was very, very popular for years. Uh, That's a definite no-no. That's a meltable. That's ignitable. We don't want to uh, do that to to stop uh, nasty stuff getting in our boots. Look for FR gaiters and and other types of products and accessories that can exist there. Uh, Shirts and pants correctly. Notice that we're tucked in. We're buttoned up. At the lower left there, we opened up that second to top button just a little bit to show you the uh, additional benefit of the layering there. That's the nice thing as a safety manager. You can look down the row, and when those logos pop out, you know your guys have got the right gear on. Uh, All, we see a lot of variations of this, untucked probably the most common and one of the worst. Think about that arc energy hitting the ground, it's going to mushroom out, then all that thermal energy is going to follow the uh, laws of physics and start to, heat's going to rise, it's going to go up and underneath, and if it hits that lightweight uh, 100% cotton t-shirt, you could potentially have an ignition underneath uh, your FRAR clothing. Uh, That's not going to be good. Uh, One other thing to uh, take into account and just think about when you're putting your program together. You can have a perfectly good, well conditioned, well intended program and forget about this little accessory here. What are we putting on our heads? What are we allowing our people to put on their heads? Uh, are we, are, do we use bandanas during the day? Are those bandanas 100% polyester? Are they 50-50? What, they're definitely more than likely going to be non-FR. Uh, what about ball caps, uh, beanies, hat liners? Just some things to think about to where you could potentially have a weak spot in that program. Always, always rolled down, tucked in, and buttoned. Uh, very graphic, but not as graphic as it could be. Trust me, this hand three days later, the picture of that, if you haven't had lunch yet, you would might want to, to put it off. But this is not that. Uh, there's definitely worse pictures uh, than this, but it gives you a really good idea of when we make mistakes, what can happen. Unfortunately... Uh, the arc-rated FR shirt was rolled up. You can see it worked perfectly. There is no injury or very, very little on where that arc-rated FR shirt uh, stopped. Rubbers and leathers were taken off. Uh, this unfortunately was failure to verify. And when we went into the electrical equipment, it was still energized and the uh, arc flash caused a lot a lot of energy, uh, excuse me, a lot of injury uh, in a split second and uh, that's very unfortunate to that mistake because you can't really go back and implement the PPE properly or do your uh, lockout tagout appropriately. Uh, care and maintenance. Now we're getting into kind of the nitty-gritty piece where uh, as we go from selection, use, everybody understands that. Now, wow, I've got this, uh, in some cases, uh, very expensive program. Now i got to kind of care and maintain it, got to protect it got to inspect it, and yes, the employer is responsible for how that shirt, pant, coverall, and all that PPE looks and needs to be inspected and needs to be uh, properly maintained. That is the employer's responsibility, but don't freak out. You guys already inspect PPE. If someone walked by you with a crack in their hard hat, you're not going to allow them to go out on the in the field with that. If they've got broken safety glasses, they replace them. If someone was looking in, their fall harness had was frayed and had cuts in it, you're not going to let them put that on. So you guys already do a great job of observing and uh, removing and retiring PPE when it's necessary. Now we've just got to take it into our shirts and pants and when we look at it, what equals retirement and we'll cover that here shortly. As far as care and maintenance goes, relatively easy to take care of this stuff. Uh, Your standards tell you what. All three of them basically tell you the same thing. Go to the manufacturer's guidelines. Remember those big old labels I was telling you about? There's all your wash instructions. It's not super complicated. If that's too difficult to read, definitely jump on the website. All the reputable manufacturers have their, their laundry guidelines and PDF that you can download. Very, very tough to mess this stuff up if you implement just really some simple laundry tips. By no means are these mandatory. This is kind of that best practice uh, approach. Uh, Things you definitely don't want to use. Don't use bleach and don't use peroxide. If you have navy shirts and pants, you're probably not going to use bleach. Uh, Where peroxide gets a little sneaky is when you start buying these new uh, cleaning products that have things like OxyClean in it. That's your peroxide uh, so don't use any of those don't use any additives that could potentially build up on your FR that's your fabric softener uh, now if you happen to do a load of laundry and you by habit puts fabric softener in there don't freak out just rewash it good to go that accumulation and that concern is definitely multiple launderings over a long period of time to where these are going to affect the performance but they will affect the performance if you continue to use improper uh, laundry guidelines so wash them separately that's kind of common sense keep them away from the kids clothing keep them away from your family's clothing not because of the FR stuff but because of all of maybe the extra secondary stuff that you bring in from the job site it's not because of anything that the FR is or isn't that's just a good practice to keep your contaminants that you do at work away from uh, your day-to-day clothing. Uh, avoid hottest temperatures on, on the heat cycle. Avoid the hottest, drier temperatures. That's just going to give you better longevity, better color retention, all those fun things. If you do have lingering odor from secondary uh, accelerants, make sure that you uh, rewash those garments until that odor is gone. So stay away from chlorine just simply use good old-fashioned liquid detergents. Stains, we always get questions on stains. What does staining mean? If there is no odor, and those garments, both of the ones that you're looking at there, if that is just stained, your FR properties are fine. If this is during the workday, and that is secondary accelerants to where that is uh, guess, uh diesel fuel, grease, oil, anything that's an accelerant, either get it off and get a clean one on or get that employee away from the hazard, a.k.a. don't put them up in the bucket into the energized wires, put them on the ground holding the, the flag that says slow down or stop, get them away from the hazard, same in, in oil and gas, get them away or better yet, get them into a clean garment. Uh, the gourmet to the right, even during the day, that's probably from an accept- You're not going to be perfectly clean all the time, so that's probably something to where you're making a common-sense decision going, okay, I don't need to change out of this. Even if there is a slight secondary odor there, I'm not super concerned about it. So stains don't impact the FR properties. Stains impact the performance if the fuel's still there. So simply, what do you do once you wash it? The old college sniff test, if it smells like fuel, it's fuel. You wash it until that fuel smell is gone. If you look through the products here real quick, OxyClean, no. Liquid fabric softener, no. Bleach, no. Starches, They again, they will accumulate, pile up, and uh, stop the actual uh, FR uh, properties from working. Uh, fabric softener sheets, same deal. What can we use here? And uh, this is not an endorsement to Tide by any means, but just plain old liquid detergents. Things to be careful of. Make sure you read the labels, especially during this time of year. Uh, my guys have a greater chance of being exposed to mosquitoes and ticks than they do arc flashes and flash fires. What do I do? What can I tell them? Well, first and foremost, tell them to read that label, and if that label says that this is DEET and DEET-based, for example, your deep woods off here has a very, very high concentration of DEET. DEET is an accelerant, both in the wet form and the dry form. Uh, If you're putting that on your clothing, you are putting an accelerant on your clothing. The DEET folks will tell you that you can put it on, for example, uh, your undergarment, then put your T-shirt on, uh, your FR shirt on there. You can use the wipes to where you can wipe it on exposed skin, say the neck, uh, the neck area, but don't put it on your clothing. There are permethrin-based products that are safe for FR, Uh, Bulwark and our other folks don't endorse any, but you could simply get on the Google box, plug in non-DEET FR safe uh, insect repellent and you'll have a handful of products show up. Uh, Rainbow is one that I know by name. Uh, Ben's Clothing and Gear makes a great product that says it's safe for FR and you can get those ones, I believe, like at Bass Pro Shops, etc and then there's other ones like R&R. Just do yourself a little bit of research. Make sure that they have taken it to a third party to to verify that claim. Make sure that they have the, uh, for example, the arc flash reports, etc. Soil garments, we talked about. Monitor the accumulation throughout the day. Understand secondary accelerants on your clothing, that fuel will be consumed in a a thermal event. So how much fuel you have on you does not matter if you are wearing FR, that fuel will be consumed. You'll create what's called a hot spot and you could potentially have uh, injuries underneath those hot spots. Repairing or replacing, this is not easily done. It's gotten a little easier. I mean, again, we go back to our old friend, the Google box, type in Nomex or Aramid thread. You'll have some folks come up, you'll send them some money, they'll send you some thread, and you'll have aramid or Nomex thread uh, at your home, and you can make those repairs with like materials. So take old shirts and old pants, and you can make little tiny patches and put those on. Uh, or you can get new garments. How much can I patch? That's tough because we want want those patches to be extremely small. We want them to be anything anything less than a nickel size, you can probably patch. Any tear less than three inches, you can probably repair. Anything beyond that, you're probably getting outside of what you want to do. And again, you've got a piece of safety equipment. You do not want the integrity of that equipment to be tampered with over time. You want it to perform as well as it can. Some real quick examples for you, Uh, the elbows here on this shirt, those are thread borne all the way through. That is a replacement, that cannot be uh, repaired. That tear on that seam, if it's less than three inches, you possibly can get out and repair that. This tear greater than three inches, we recommend that you don't repair it, that you get a new So we're wrapping up here almost on time. I want to I save some time that we can get to some questions. So before I pass it over uh, to Kevin, real quick, when we're wrapping up and we're summarizing for folks key things to think about, whoever you choose as your manufacturer, get their guarantee in writing on letterhead and signed and make sure you clearly understand what that guarantee is. That guarantee cannot be linked to a standard. What do I mean by that? We've talked a lot about standards and what the standards say on how to build clothing, what the standards and the labeling say on how clothing needs to perform and what it's tested to. But that garment's FR properties cannot be tied to a standard. Why? Standards are limited. For example, ASTM 1506 is 25 launderings. If I guarantee my garment is meeting 1506, I've told you that I have, it'll go to 25 launderings. What happens after that? You don't know. And that's what the guarantee gives you. Even at 2112, it's 100 laundrings. That's only two years of wear life. Some fabrics and some garments are going to last longer than two years. You don't want to be tied to the standard. You want that guarantee to be for the life of that garment, however long that may be. And it varies from fabric to fabric, garment to garment, and wearer to wear. So don't tie it to a standard. Ask for the test data. The test data from the fabric folks and the garment folks should be readily available. Make sure you get the certifications to verify that that test data is indeed accurate and was performed correctly. I just don't take test data, change a number, and give it to you to show that I have an improved performance. Go back and verify the actual test data. Specify that only certified compliant garments for your hazard are allowed on the job site. Work with proven supply chain partners. And I, that I mean from, for this reason. When everything is working perfectly, does it really matter where you got your stuff from? Probably not. If I, if I have a program and there is no incidents, it probably doesn't matter. What you've got to remember is we build this stuff at Bulwark for the hazards hoping you never have to use it for what I built it for. I want you to go through the whole life of that program and never have to use my garments for what I built it for. Now if you need to, it needs to work perfectly every time and more importantly the time that you need it. You want to have the ability to pick up the phone, have access to technical expertise, have access to PhDs, to have access to data and you want that to be able to come to you relatively quickly. So make sure you work with proven uh, supply chain partners. Then periodically police your program for compliance. Programs can get out of compliance very, very quickly. There's a lot of stuff out there. People go to these shows, NSC, ASSE, and there's there's just, oh man, we want to try this. Can we get this in the program? Can we get this in the program? Can we put this one in the program? Make sure, That you're policing your program and you're allowing only certified compliant garments for your hazard into your program. So, with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Kevin. And as Kevin alluded to or said earlier, any questions that we don't get today, you guys have typed in, I will get them sent to me and I'll make sure that everybody gets uh, the answers to the questions if we don't get to those. So, with that, Kevin. You got the floor.
0: All right. Excellent. No, well, well, great job, Derek, and thank you for all of your insights and expertise. Before we do start the Q&A, I just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input's important because it'll help us to improve future webcasts. If you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And with that, we will get to questions. Uh, first one, does mosquito spray actually cause FR clothing to be degraded?
1: Can you repeat that for me, Kevin? I'm sorry. Was it...
0: Mis- yes. Does mosquito spray actually cause FR clothing to be degraded? Good question. It,
1: it is not so much uh, degraded. It's not going to allow it to do what it needs to do because uh, if it's deep based okay it's going to uh, be a fuel that's on the garment and that fuel is going to be used so you'll actually have uh, flame and when the energy is removed when that arc flash or flash fire is over you'll have what's called after flame it will be burning off that DEET as fuel now if it's not DEET based and it's considered FR clothing safe it's been test it's been applied to the garments and then tested in the hazard So it would not be degrading the FR properties at all if it's indeed considered FR safe. Now, that's not for us as the garment folks to endorse. That's for the insect repellent manufacturer to do their due diligence and then communicate to you as the end user that their stuff is indeed indeed FR safe.
0: Okay, um, next one. Can we layer the clothing to meet a certain category of clothing rather than having the protection all in the outermost layer?
1: Absolutely. Uh, And that's really the biggest advantage to layering is I can get two lightweight layers to perform better than a heavyweight layer. So I can be more comfortable. Uh, Now, the caveat to that is, is you have to test the system together as worn. So that lightweight base layer has to be under that outer fabric, whatever that may be, and then we take it to and we test it. We go up to Conetrix, we put it on the panel test, we hit it with arc flashes, and we then have a documented combined ATPV for that system. And what you'll find and what's very common is you'll see two lightweight systems that that outer layer is a 6.5, that inner layer is a 4.5, and when we test them together, you get a 10 or a 12. Well, if I have to be eight calories or higher, I can do that in a single lightweight or, or two lightweight layers and be more comfortable instead of that one heavyweight layer. So, yes, there's a lot of advantages to layering. Now, I say that, and you still have to be cautious. Get them tested, and then you have to wear them as a system. That's going to require you, typically, in almost all cases, that that base layer, that undergarment, is long sleeve. Because if it's short sleeve, then your system is only what the outermost layer's arc rating is because you have that gap between your elbow and your wrist that is not double layered. So you can only say the system is the lower calorie rating. The other thing you've got to be cautious of: if I build a system where my shirt and pants, or excuse me, my two shirts are 22 calories, remember your system is whatever your pants are going to be because your pants are probably going to be 10 to 12 calories. That's a 10 to 12 calorie system because you have to go with the lowest arc rating in that combination. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: All right. um, What are your thoughts on tucking coveralls into the top of high boots?
1: You know, I've I've seen that uh, when we when we get out into our oil and gas in our shale plays, and we see the guys in the field tucking them in. Now, a manufacturer will tell you where it has designed is designed for that pant leg of the coverall to be the boot supposed to be underneath it. The fact is, those heavy leather boots in an arc flash or a flash fire, there's going to be very little damage done to that leather. So. Are you really compromising your safety by doing that Uh, from a a real-world application I would say you're probably okay doing it as long as that outer that boot that upper half of that boot is like a strong leather it's not a synthetic it's not a a nylon base like you see out there if it's a good leather upper leather resists uh, thermal energy pretty well but if it's a, if it's something that could ignite potentially, if it's something that could melt and cause injury, then it's not a good idea. So don't run out from this webinar saying, the guy from Bulwark says it's okay. It's okay only in select cases, and that select case would be a strong, heavy leather upper in that boot to where that leather is resistant. My, I'm tucked in. From a real-world standpoint, you're probably going to be okay. The downside is, if they're wearing a cheap inferior product, if it's something where it's a lightweight ballistic nylon that could ignite, melt, or drip, then you're probably not, that's probably not a good practice.
0: Okay. Next one. Uh, when buttoning up, how far up is compliant? All the way to the collar? If there's layering, can the first collar button remain unbuttoned? So
1: good question. The, uh, if you read the standards, there is some room for interpretation. They say button them up. Uh, now, very, very difficult to get some of our employees to get that top button closed. So I, when I educate folks, I say, hey, it's up to the top button. I, I notice it's up to. It doesn't say Including. Uh, In our our arc flashes, we've got our hard hat, and we should have our face shield. That face shield with our chin cup is going to extend beyond that small opening. Uh, The real hardliners will tell you that if you're wearing a cotton T-shirt, that tiny little triangle that is now exposed of fabric potentially could ignite, and they're absolutely 100% accurate. You've got to kind of balance what can I police What can I really have my guys do and be compliant all day, every day? Am I going to be able to get some of the top buttons on my shirts around my guys' necks to even button? So realistically, when when it's up to the top button, so that would put you at the second. If you do have, and that's another good argument for having that arc-rated FR base layer. There's no fuel exposed uh, as you would in that lightweight cotton T-shirt. And if we're implementing all of our PPE necessary, for example, in in an arc flash, we're going to have our hard hat and face shield there, and that chin cup and that lower extension is going to cover that area up anyways.
0: How is the life expectancy of FR garments determined? It's going to be for now. I can only speak
1: to Bulwark's products and what Bulwark does in order to ensure our supply chains exceed all the standards. Every single fabric that Bulwark garments make up, and we have primarily four, you have 8812 FR cotton, you have 100% FR cotton, you have Nomex 3A. We have Tecasafe Plus in varieties of different weights. And then we have our uh, Milliken G2 IQ series. Those are our primary fabrics. All our fabrics, trust me, have well exceeded beyond the standards to where we can apply our guarantee, which is the life of that garment. And when I say the life of that garment, if you are in, for example, a controlled uh, a control room, You are required to wear 2112 compliant uh, garments because of exposure to chemical flash fire or petrochemical flash fire, and you basically don your coverall every single day. You sit down in your ergonomically uh, nice chair, and you work at a control panel. That coverall is going to last you, let's say, five years, and you've washed it once a week. It is still going to be FR. You could be a heavy-duty diesel mechanic in that same refinery and you could be wearing a similar coverall, but because of your job description and what you do and the way you work, you wear that coverall out in 12 months. It's the life of the garment. and By wearing it out, you've got threadbare knees, elbows. You're starting to fray because of the heavy uh, abrasive work as you crawl and move around and rub up against equipment. You burn through that coverall. They're both the same coverall. They're both FR, one's in service for five years, one service life was uh, 12 months, exactly the same. The FR properties are gonna be there for both. So the key to that is they're not laundry dependent when we're talking about Bulwark products. I can't speak to anybody else's products on what they are and what their service life is. All right, I think we've got
0: time for one more. Are there rating levels for flash fire protection?
1: Great question. Not like we have in arc flash. In arc flash, you have the ability to take an ATPV, which is the arc thermal performance value of a fabric, and match it up to that incident energy. They're both measured in calories per centimeter squared. So if I have five calories of incident energy, what do I want my shirt pant or coverall to be? I want it to be more, so I can go shop for six calories. I'm more. In our flash fire world we don't have that same uh, ability to determine levels of protection because the dynamics of the exposure are different. You do have a little bit of insight when it comes to ASTM 1930 mannequin testing but that mannequin testing in that test laboratory is designed on single layer fabrics so there's no pockets, it's not a commercially implemented garment. It's not shirts and pants, it's whatever that weight of that fabric is in a a, uh, coverall form. So you can extrapolate and make a very good sound judgment if you uh, consult with uh, someone like from Bulwark or one of the other leading manufacturers and you can come up with a good sound, but you don't have the ease of matching your hazard and the energy to the clothing that you do in Arc Flash. You do have quote-unquote levels because you can look at how it performs in that testing and you will have a body burn graph that will tell you this fabric had 15 percent body burn and this fabric had 30 percent body burn, but that's not saying that one is better than the other. That's not saying that one is more protective than the other. That's saying under those tests situations they're both less than 50 percent body burn both those fabrics now can have further evaluation to ultimately build shirts pants and coveralls that could be 2112 uh, compliant so that's a long-winded way of saying we don't have the same kind of category measurements and flash fire that we do in arc flash but we definitely can educate and build a really good sound program that people are going to like to wear because they'll be comfortable but yet still protected.
0: Okay, well, well thank you. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but uh, as, we, as we've said and as Derek reminded, um, all today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. And one uh, one additional reminder, i would seen a few questions in the Q&A box that the recording will be archived, so this will be available after today's uh, webcast. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. And that ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Derek Sang, everyone at Bulwark, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.